Hello and welcome to another edition of the Checked on Charlie's podcast. I'm your host, Eric. As always, I'm joined by Theo. Talk to the people, Theo. How's it going? Just waiting for week 15 to start, actually. Indeed. Yeah, it's week 15. Yeah, there's three games left. Yep, exactly. I believe we've been through this freaking pandemic season. It's already been week 15. It's been a bumpy ride. Uh, Let me say that in terms of like scheduling and rescheduling, we've had... Tuesday night football, Thursday night. Was there one that was Wednesday afternoon football? It was like a freaking mess. We've had football pretty much every day except for what Friday. Friday, yeah. Judging by how the NFL, you know, likes to maximize marketing opportunities, I think it's only a matter of time before we have Friday night football. In my opinion, actually, I know traditionally in the states it's like Friday high school, Saturday college, Sunday NFL, mm-hmm. but. I don't mind watching the NFL seven days a week. And many had said that they wouldn't get there, but because of the ultimate flex power that the NFL has, they were able to. And the season is almost done. Yep. Like I said, it's been a bumpy ride, but we're getting there. I mean, we are getting there. And at least there's football on TV. So I can't complain about that. Exactly. Yeah. Where we left you guys off in the Giants history was right after the Giants had drafted Eli Manning. So just a quick recap. Tom Coughlin is hired by Ernie Corsi. He implements a more disciplined style to the team, which had been lacking in years. Of course, Theo broke it down beautifully in the last episode. The trade and all of the intrigue and drama surrounding it and what it took for the Giants to finally get their guy in Eli Manning. At the time, when Tom Coughlin was first hired, Kerry Collins, who was the quarterback, did not want to be the backup. And so they replaced him with Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner, for those of you who are not familiar, was the quarterback of the St. Louis Rams and the quarterback of the greatest show on turf. Won a Super Bowl with them in the late 90s and lost to the eventual dynasty that was the New England Patriots under Tom Brady. A lot of people don't even realize that Kurt Warner was actually on the Giants because obviously he made his name for himself in St. Louis. He kind of resurfaced later in Arizona. You know, he was obviously a solid pro. Do you have anything to say about Kurt Warner, Theo? Yeah, well, he was just essentially ousted for a younger Mark Balcher who was able to execute the offense just as well in St. Louis. Eventually, when he went to New York, it was sort of a wishy-washy season. They finished the season 6-10. and 10. He started 5-4, and four, but was eventually replaced by Eli Manning. Exactly. And that was really the focus of the Giants organization, was developing Manning at that point. As it should be. As it should be. He's been praised by Manning. They had a good relationship. I even watched one of those NFL Network things on Kurt Warner's life, football life. Mm-hmm. And they talked about this point in time where Warner was actually really supportive of the fact that the Giants were playing Manning because he knew he was the future. And he knew just from personal experience, because he had been tossed around so many places, that Eli needed to develop and he needed those games underneath his belt. Yeah, exactly. As you mentioned, the relationship between Eli and Kurt Warner has always been really good and lots of mutual respect there as you'd alluded to the Giants were actually in playoff contention when they benched Kurt Warner in favor of Eli Manning started out the season five and four and then ended it one and six Tom Coughlin who's in his first season did receive a lot of criticism for this move however if we're going to compare it to any modern day examples I think 
at least at the time of writing, this is right when the Dolphins, the Miami Dolphins in 2020, decided to bench Ryan Fitzpatrick in favor of Tua Tonga-Vailoa. I don't know. You talk us through here. But it could have gone either way. It could have went this way. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I think this is probably the worst case scenario in terms of what you want when you put in a rookie. But again, I think it speaks to the trust and versatility that they had at the position, right? And uh, obviously it's worked out well for the Dolphins so far. We have a team that's sitting at 6-10 and 10 with a second-year head coach. And heading into the 2005 draft, you see that they start building up for a future Super Bowl run or or the beginnings of a Super Bowl-caliber team. In the second round, they draft a cornerback out of LSU. His name's Corey Webster. Third round, they take a defensive end, Justin Tuck. And the fourth round, they take Brandon Jacobs, a running back out of Southern Illinois. As well, they add Chase Blackburn and Cameron Wake, actually as undrafted free agents. Cameron Wake, obviously... He doesn't make it onto the roster. He ends up going to the CFL. Yeah, but... CFL legend Cameron Wake and Dolphins <laughs> legend Cameron Wake as well. But Chase Blackburn ended up being a very important part of the linebacking core of the late aughts. Also, they acquired Plaxico Burris from the Pittsburgh Steelers, trying to give Eli Manning some more weapons. Corey Webster played well during the 2007 postseason, intercepted Jeff Garcia in the wildcard round victory over the 49ers. He intercepted Brett Favre in overtime during the NFC Championship against the Packers. So he's famed for his playoff performances in 2007. And Justin Tuck was kind of another name in the steady stream of defensive end prospects that the Giants had. You have Michael Strahan, who's there, and Osi Umanyora, who are playing really well at a really high level. So despite a slow start, he only started one game in his first two seasons. He racked up 10 sacks across the line. In Super Bowl 42, Justin Tuck sacked Tom Brady twice and forced a fumble. He's the leader of the defense after Strahan retired. He had an impact later down the road in Super Bowl 46 as well. Brandon Jacobs had 16 rushing TDs in his first two seasons, eventually took over as starter a few years down the road. He is part of the Earth, Wind, and Fire attack with Derek Ward and Ahmad Bradshaw. Jacobs contributed 15 rushing touchdowns in 2008. Most importantly, in terms of the big picture, he has the highest number of rushing touchdowns in Giants history with 60. My favorite Giants running back. He's a perfect example of like a Tom Coughlin player because... He has this huge impact, but he never gets the accolades. He's such a bruiser, and he works well within different aspects of the offense, but he's just never elevated to, like, superstardom. I think you're right in that. And, like, the collaborative aspect of the roster, especially when you look at the running back situation, is something that we're going to get into, obviously, as we go through this episode. But Coughlin is really well known for for having depth at all the positions that that are necessary and using that to maximum effect. And I think Brandon Jacobs, you look at him, he's like, we have his measurables here. He's 6'4", 265 pounds. Like, the guy's huge. Absolutely impossible to tackle. And, like, do yourselves a favor if you haven't already and look up some some Brandon Jacobs highlights. You see him bowling over dudes. It's crazy. Just fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. (laughs) Heading into the 2005 season, this is the year that the Giants announced the future construction of what is now known as MetLife Stadium. In terms of an organizational note, in 2005, both Wellington Mara 
and Bob Tisch pass away. Wellington Mara ended up passing away at age 89. We'd made mention of him previously, but obviously known as a legend in terms of front office for the Giants and in the league in general. He started off as a ball boy for the Giants in 1925. In 1930, he became the youngest owner in pro sports when his father gave him and his brother Jack control the franchise when he was 14 years old. Aside from a brief tour of duty in World War II, he spent his whole life involved with the team. As mentioned earlier, he only relinquished control of football operations after hiring George Young. After beefing with his brother. Yeah, exactly. At that point in time. Yeah, he and his brother Tim were not speaking to each other at a certain point. They had to have separate rooms or separate areas. and A partition set up in their fucking box. Exactly. There we go. They couldn't walk in the same direction while they were watching the team practice. They would have to be completely away from each other, opposite sides of the field. Wow. That is ridiculous. Just going back to Wellington, he would continue to operate as the team's owner and was a member of the franchise for 81 years. He was well-liked by players and coaches. Lawrence Taylor credits Wellington Mara with helping him with his substance abuse issues while he was playing. Bill Parcells said that Wellington would watch every practice and come to visit Parcells in the opposing dressing room whenever his teams would visit the Giants. Wellington also earned the nickname of the Duke. So the players named him Duke because he was named after the Duke of Wellington, a famous British military, I think he's a general or something in the 1800s. The football that was used from 1941 to 1969 was also nicknamed the Duke in his honor by George Hallis who is the owner of the Chicago Bears. Since 2006, a new version of the Duke has been used in NFL games. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1997, becoming part of the first father-son duo in the Hall of Fame with his father, Tim. I have a quote here from Michael Strahan. When he spoke, it was literally the voice of God in football speaking to you. You know, take that for what it's worth. I mean, obviously, he's been around the game for a long time, and You know, you look at the Giants becoming popular in the mid-50s, the televising of games, like he's around for all of that. So truly a Giants legend passed away. Bob Tisch was the executive officer of the Giants, and I believe they had just recently purchased a majority stake in the Giants organization. So within a few weeks of one another, Wellington Mara and Bob Tisch end up passing away, which is, you know, quite sad when you think about it. And I believe that the Giants actually beat the Eagles the next week in their honor, which is always, it's always nice to, to beat the Eagles. In that season, 2005, the Giants finish with a record of 11-5, and five, and they end up first in the NFC East. Tiki Barber rushes for 1,860 yards and has the greatest single season running back performance for the Giants. He also broke the Giants' single-game rushing record against the Chiefs, and he had 220 yards and two touchdowns on 29 carries. A lot of this is credited to Coughlin helping to change the way that Tiki Barber was holding the ball, meaning that he only fumbled once in 2005. He set career highs in rushing and total yards. They would get to win the NFC East for the first time since 2000 and have their first postseason appearance since 2002. However, in the postseason, the Giants ended up getting shut out by the Carolina Panthers 23 to nothing. Tiki Barber would call out Tom Coughlin and the staff because a Panthers player said that, and I quote, we knew what they were going to do before they did it. It's important to keep in mind 
that the head coach for the Panthers at the time was John Fox, who was the defensive coordinator for the Giants during their Super Bowl run of 2000. Mm-hmm. Aha. Aha. Very well aware of the roster itself. You know, mm-hmm. he obviously was there when Jim Fossil was the head coach in 2000, but he had the connections and he was probably keeping an eye on how they were building themselves. Definitely. There's a lot of information that gets passed along when coaches or players go from organization to organization. So obviously that could have factored in. However, Tiki kind of speaking out of turn there and criticizing the coaching staff. That leads us to the 2006 draft in season. Their record was 8-8, eight and eight, and they ended up losing the wildcard playoffs against the Eagles. They draft Matthias Kiwanuka, defensive end. Barry Cofield is a name that I recognize, Guy Wimper. And they also acquired LeVar Arrington in the offseason. And this season actually started off quite promising. They started the season 6-2, and two, but then kind of floundered down the stretch and ended it 2-6. and six. Midway through the season, Tiki Barber announces in week 10 that he will retire after its conclusion and will pursue a job in sports media. Tiki Barber had a great season in 2006. He had the highest yardage total of any running back in their final season. He had 234 yards against Washington in week 17, breaking his own record for yards in a game. That performance propelled the Giants to the playoffs. He has the record with four games of over 200 yards for a running back over 30 years old. All other players in that category have one such game. 200 yards per game. Yeah. <laughs> like Dude, he was killing it. He was doing so well and like the classic example of some of a running back who retired too early, quote unquote, is Barry Sanders, for example. I'm not saying Tiki Barber was Barry Sanders, but at the same time, like his performances are helping the team to win. He's by no means like an insignificant part of that offense. But at the same time, the team isn't really winning that much. You know, they squeak into the playoffs that year, mm-hmm. you know, eight of eight record. That's not a, a dominating season, right? Not by any stretch. From my perspective, if I was Tom Coughlin, you know, you have a really talented player, but at the same time, he's sort of not a really good culture guy. Even the fact that he announced that he was retiring, it wasn't really done gracefully. You know, you do it week 10 when you're still in playoff contention. His relations with the media anyway ended up leaving a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths in terms of the Giants organization. I mean, we already mentioned to you the fact that he had outwardly criticized Michael Strahan you know, wanting more money for his contract after winning Defensive Player of the Year in 2001. I think there's a lot of unwritten rules that were broken. Yeah, even the Giants season in 2007, once he gets into media, he sort of criticizes the Giants situation because he uses it as his leverage for his media career. The insider that just got out. Exactly. When he was asked why he was retiring initially, he cited the physicality of the game and practice as his body quote-unquote, simply couldn't take it anymore. The Giants, for their part, ended up blowing a 21-point lead against the Titans in the fourth quarter to lose a game 24-21. to Once they lost to the Saints 30-7, to fans could be heard chanting, Fire Coughlin in the stadium. 2006 Saints, eh? The <laughs> first-year head coach, Sean Payton, former offensive coordinator for the 2000 Giants. Exactly. You know, the first year of Drew Brees, who gets ousted because... Philip Rivers is killing it at this point in San Diego. There you go. The NFL tree of, what was that section called? The NFL? 
Yeah, NFL. NFL. This hypothetical scenario has played itself out, and you can see the dots are connecting here. Basically, Tiki did end up coming through on his promise to retire. He would retire in February of 2007 and had complaints about Eli's leadership. Coughlin's practice style and obviously the physicality of the game which were cited as his reasons. Before his last game, Tiki told ESPN that he was demeaned and talked down to by Tom Coughlin. After his retirement, he cited Tom Coughlin as another reason, saying that he quote-unquote pushed me in the direction of television. So this is via the Daily News. Coughlin robbed me of what had been one of the most important things I had in my life, which was the joy I felt playing football. He had taken it away. Barber noted that quarterbacks Eli's attempt to lead an offensive meeting late in the campaign was quote-unquote comical at times. Eli, obviously cool as a cucumber, would respond to this and say, I guess I'm just happy for Tiki that he's making such a smooth transition into the TV world. That's what you need at the quarterback position. Yeah. There's no reason for him to be petty at that point, even though Tiki is throwing them under the bus, so to speak. Just a classy move. Pretty much. And that's the signature of Eli is nothing really phases him and it's kind of water off a duck's back. The infamous boat trip that caused the media stir before their playoff game against the uh, Green Bay Packers in which Mm. they lose. Eli managed just like, he's not really answering any questions about them leaving and going to Miami he was just more saying all on the lines that they should have brought better clothing you know they were wearing jeans on the boat instead of of swimming trunks yeah you know he was just basically ripping them for looking like playboys on a boat I mean hey way to diffuse the situation in my opinion going back to Tiki right Hmm. I remember watching an interview with him remember how we talked about the 2000 Giants, and then how they get spanked by the Baltimore Ravens, 34 to 7. They only scored, it was like pretty close at, at halftime, and then they end up shitting the bed and not doing anything in the second half. Mm-hmm. He cites one of the reasons for their poor performance in the Super Bowl was because the previous game, the Giants had like dominated Minnesota 41 to nothing. The defense got introduced at the beginning of that game. They were expecting that the offense would be introduced at the beginning of the Super Bowl because they had such a dominant offensive performance the week prior, and they didn't end up doing it. They just ended up announcing the defense first, and he's like, that just took the air out of all of us on offense, you know what I mean? It didn't really hype them up, and he goes, that, that like lack of hype really deterred the team and it caused them to lose the game that sounds like a straight up you know hashtag narrative if i've ever seen one but like he he wasn't super serious about it but the fact that you would mention that you know yeah granted athletes are pretty superstitious when it comes to that kind of stuff and like i could see how that would affect morale i think most teams nowadays they just go out all together it's not really offense or defense type thing that gets introduced yeah exactly just in terms of what's happening with the giants at this point we mentioned that they lost to the eagles in the first round however tom coughlin signed a one-year extension at the end of the season meaning that he was only guaranteed to be coach for one more season heading into 2007 (laughs) and that's what we like to call a cliffhanger folks (laughs) <laughs> good episode Rizzoli yeah 
Next week, we'll talk about the infamous underdog season, which was 2007. Thanks for listening to the Checkdown Charlie's podcast. Check us out on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. Don't forget to follow us at CheckDCharlie's on Twitter and at CheckdownCharlie's on Instagram. Like, comment, and subscribe on all platforms, and don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.